You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name's Tim. I'm on the pastoral team here at the church, team of leaders, and uh, I'm going to be speaking to us this morning. We've been in uh, the book of Genesis, looking at the character of Joseph. So today we're going to look at chapters 39 to 41. We won't read the whole of each chapter. I will try and coach you through where I am because uh, I'll be reading passages within those chapters. So chapter 39, um, we've got to the point where Joseph has been bought to be a slave. Well, we got there a long time ago, but I'm going to read through a few bits of these chapters. But we'll pick it up in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And then what happens basically in that chapter is God blesses all that Joseph does, but as we heard last week, he is put under quite intense uh, temptation. He flees, he acts with complete integrity, He doesn't even want to spend time with his master's wife, but she tries to seduce him. And in the end, she slanders him and gets him thrown in jail. So we pick it up in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Chapter 40 begins saying that uh, while Joseph was in prison, two of the king's men, a cupbearer and his chief baker, committed an offense and they got thrown into the prison where Joseph was. And one night they both have dreams that trouble them. So we pick it up in verse 8. They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Isn't that mental? I don't think that's what he wanted to hear. Can you imagine? And then crazy, it just doesn't, there's no sort of sympathy, it just carries on. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, 
He made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Chapter 41 begins two years later and Pharaoh now has a dream. So verse 8 So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called out for magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And then what happens? At last, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh, and so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh describes his dream in which there are seven thin, ugly cows and they eat seven fat, healthy cows. And then there are seven windswept, withered Ears of corn that eat seven healthy ears of corn. And pick it up in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Joseph goes on to propose an action plan for the salvation of Egypt And in verse 37, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom the spirit of God, in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. I'm just going to pray and then we'll, we'll jump into... The message. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal your ways, you reveal your character, your wisdom. 
We thank you that you do that by your Holy Spirit through your word. So I pray this morning as we hear from your word opened up that you would speak to our hearts. You'd help us to learn wisdom that we can walk forward in, that we can take hold of. I pray let us see Jesus, that we would be people who understand the joy of our salvation, understand what it is to be sons and daughters, understand the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So incredible, incredible arc of Joseph's journey, calling this story Joseph's Path, uh, because he goes on quite an incredible, as we've just read, incredible journey uh, all over the place. If we just look, I've done a little kind of diagram that he starts out in, from what we know of his story, as this special son who's given promises of God. Uh, it then moves on to him being thrown in a pit, and then he's sold into slavery. Things are going down, down, down for Joseph. But then, as a slave, he's given authority. Things seem to be getting better. He's actually given quite a lot of authority. He's honored quite highly by his master. And you kind of think, oh, is this where his promises are going to come true? But as we saw last week, things get from bad to worse. He's then slandered and thrown into jail. And in jail, he is forgotten. But then, eventually, years later, he is remembered by Pharaoh's cupbearer. He is trusted by Pharaoh. He's vindicated and he's honored in all of Egypt. So you've got this incredibly complex journey that he's been on. He's been in all sorts of phases of life, ups and downs. And if we know our own stories, life is like that. We have phases where we think, you know, we, we go to school perhaps college, perhaps university. We have different jobs. We have different relationships. And there are probably phases of your life where you know that was a definitely an up and that was definitely a down. You may have phases in your life where you think, I don't, I, I don't even want to remember that. I've put that behind me and I'd rather not ever think of it again. And other times of your life where you think, I remember that with fondness. I like to recall that time of my life. It was fantastic. I, I look at the photos and I thank God for that. Joseph's life is full of these ups and downs, but during his path, during his journey, he shows us, well, many things. But we're going to look at three things today about God that we learn through Joseph's story. Firstly, God trains his people. God trains his people. Secondly, God reigns over all. And thirdly, God vindicates his people. God trains his people. He reigns over all. And he vindicates his people. And each of these things, we can look at how Joseph responded and how believers can respond. And going into this message and these points, I want to point out that Joseph, as we just sang about, is a Proverbs 3 man. If we look at Proverbs 3, you could almost, it was written years and years later than Joseph's life. But you could read the first 12 verses and think, is this about Joseph? I mean, look at, you don't, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. There's some parts in here. Um, it says this. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. It sounds like Joseph, doesn't it? He was faithful. He was a man of integrity. He had love and faithfulness around him. And wherever he went, he would find favor and success in the sight of God and man. Later on it says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
Last week we saw Joseph doing that. He feared God and he turned away from the, the evil of this temptress who was trying to lure him into bed. But he's a Proverbs 3 man. He's, and I fear God. How could I do this to my master? How could I do this to God? He fears the Lord and he turns away from evil. And then later on it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then barns will be filled with plenty. Joseph is a man later on that fills barns with plenty in Egypt and uses that as a way to save the nation. It goes on to say, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, but or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Another word for discipline could be training. Do not despise the Lord's training. And Joseph was a man who didn't waste his training that he went through. As we see his story and we look at this first point, God trains his people. Joseph's a man who, who continually trusts God is with him and lets God train his heart, get him prepared for what he's later going to come into. God trains him. So you can see lots of echoes of Joseph in Proverbs 3. But if you go right into the center of it, the song we just sang about is from verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make your paths straight. And we could look at Joseph's path, as we just had on the screen, and think, that's anything but straight. It's all over the place. But that's with a circumstantial, earthly perspective, looking on that thing. And that's He's everywhere. He's all over the place. In Joseph's heart, it's a bit like a, a caravan being pulled by a, a car. It could be taken all over the place, but the caravan knows my path is straight. It's just following this car. In a similar way, Joseph's path is straight. He's following, trusting God, acknowledging God, and in some ways his path is straight from the promises of God to the vindication of God. We're going to find God's faithfulness as Joseph looks to be a Proverbs 3 Five and six man. He trusts God with all his heart. So God trains his people is the first point we're going to look at. God trains his people. How does he train his people? Well, God trains his people by taking them into circumstances and situations that bring about discipline and refining. He brings people into storms and, and tests and trials. The Bible says, consider it a joy when you face a trial because God is producing something in you. God was taking Joseph through things and producing something in him so that later on he could, he could be a man who moves with much authority and power and yet maintained his integrity, maintained his focus on God. If we look in the Gospels, we see Jesus on the boat with the disciples in the storm and they're in this storm where they think, we could die. This is terrifying. But if you backtrack a little bit, who is it that gets them into the boat in the first place? It's actually Jesus who leads them into this storm. Jesus who uses this storm to teach them something that will produce fruit in their life. As they understand, oh, you're trustworthy in the storm. As we look at Jesus himself going into the wilderness, he has something of a trial of temptation with the devil. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And, and, and who leads him into the wilderness? Is it Satan? No, it says the, the Holy Spirit leads him in. So we must, mustn't equate the circumstances of life with the faithfulness of God. Or the circumstances of life with the love of God. Or the circumstances of life with 
the presence of God. God is present. If you have a look at uh, chapter 39 that we started with, if you noticed, I read two mirroring passages at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter. They're kind of bookends of the chapter. And both of them say this, the Lord was with Joseph. It says it twice at the beginning of the chapter, twice at the end. What are the circumstances? Well, he's just been thrown into a pit and then sold to be a slave. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Then you've got this chapter where he's tempted. Things are going well. He's honoring God. And then completely lied about and sent to prison. Oh, no, God's abandoned me. No, no, no. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. It's a temptation for us to think, God, my circumstance show me that you have completely forgotten me. You've abandoned me. You're not with me. You're absent. So easy for us to go there because because we see right in front of our eyes and we can't get past that. But Joseph's picture is here showing us, no, no, God was there. God was with him. You may be tempted to think, God, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. If I had my way, it wouldn't go like this. But it doesn't just say God was with him. It says God was with him and showed him steadfast love. It doesn't feel like steadfast love, God. He's, He's a slave. He's in prison. No, I'm I'm with him, and I'm showing him steadfast love. There's a lot more going on than just circumstantial life. How could we say the Lord was with him? I mean, it could be like you could say, how can you say God was with him? He's a slave. He's in prison. In the same way, we could say, God, how, how can I say you're with me? I've been trying to get a job for six months, and there's nothing. How are you with me? You're not with me. Or, uh, you know, I've got this diagnosis and it's absolutely crippled me and it's shocked me. And how could I possibly believe you're with me? Or perhaps I've been betrayed. I've been abused. I've been lied about, slandered. How could I possibly think God's favor is on me? Well, looking at Joseph, we realize that's not how it works. God's favor is on us regardless of the circumstances. We need to hold our circumstances lightly and hold the promises of God tightly. We hold the circumstances lightly. We hold the promises tightly because Jesus said to us, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God. So whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you must understand Jesus is not one who looks on unimpressed, just disconnected. No, he's the one who comes in and sits beside you. He is the one who is with you and is loving you, and it may be that he is taking you through a trial, a discipline, a training, a refining to help you to bear fruit, the sort of fruit that trusts him, the sort of fruit that says, somehow I can stand strong in this trial. It's an incredible thing about Joseph is that he's able to bear fruit no matter what the the weather is like, no matter what the fire is. He's like, I'm bearing fruit in season and out of season. He's also a Proverbs 3 man is also a Jeremiah 17 man. It says, Jeremiah 17 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by a stream. His roots go deep and his leaves stay green in season and out of season. I'm trusting in the Lord and I can bear fruit in prison. I can bear fruit as a slave. And I can bear fruit as the king's number two. Because actually my circumstances don't dictate how trustworthy God is. God is with me just as much as I oversee Egypt as he was with me in the pit. We've got to be careful that we don't equate God's 
presence with our circumstances. In fact, it may be that we think, well, if Jesus loves me, my circumstances will be better. When the truth is, if Jesus loves you, he may be using your circumstance to change you. Not changing your circumstances to make you feel comfortable. But actually, no, I'm doing a refining process. Because, like Joseph, God wants his people to shine bright. To be something that the nation will look on. And see, here's a people that actually are trustworthy. Here's a people that are wise. Pharaoh ends up saying to to Joseph, there's no one like you with this discernment and wisdom. God wants to refine us in a way that the nation will look on and say, there's actually no one like these people for wisdom and discernment. He's going to take us through things so we trust him, trust his word, trust his ways, even in the face of quite difficult, brutal pain sometimes. He's with us. So Joseph trusts God in private. God trains his people. How does Joseph respond? He trusts God in private. You trust God in private? In those moments where you just think, it's burning me up. This is painful. What do I do? I I recall in private, in my heart, the promises of God. And I stand on the promises of God. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. And number two, God reigns over all. In this story, God reigns over all. It's so evident that Joseph believes my God reigns over all. He could easily just think, this is my Hebrew God from my little Hebrew clan. Um, But now we're talking about Pharaoh. So it's a different deal, actually. He doesn't behave like that at all. He thinks, no, my God reigns over all. My God is in control. How do we see this? We see God giving dreams to people. We see God foreknowing what he will do in the land. Bringing about abundance. Bringing about famine bringing Joseph success wherever he goes. It's clear God is over all things in this story. And for us, it's difficult, isn't it? It's so easy for us to to think, yeah, God reigns at church, and God reigns when I maybe read the Bible sometimes. But outside of that context, other things reign, actually. And I can hide from the reality of the God that I believe in. Perhaps I might say, you know, someone asks, do you you go to church? Well, uh, yeah, my, my, my parents kind of, I grew up going to church, and sometimes I still go. And, and we actually kind of hide from the reality. No, I believe God reigns over all. God is the king of England. He reigns over England. And I don't want to be, uh, I mustn't fall into being embarrassed about that, hiding from that. Maybe you're in the staff room or the lunch break or something at work, and the conversation goes to, what a mess this nation is in. And Boris this and Brexit that and all this stuff. And we can fall into the trap of kind of either being quiet or, or just saying, yeah, this is my opinion on the whole thing. And completely leaving God out of it when actually the people of God are meant to say, do you know what? Because a nation has turned its back on God. That's the reality of the situation. As a nation, we've turned our back on God and we're seeing the fruit of it. Do we ever think that way? Do we ever think, I'm actually here to bring the presence of God. I'm here to argue for the sovereignty of God. That's part of who I am as a light to my workplace, as a light to my family even, or to my friends, to my neighbors. I'm a light. Joseph is not embarrassed. You know, when somebody says, hey, what did you do on the weekend? And you say, well, on Saturday, we, uh, there was quite a lot of sport. You know, we took the kids here or there or had a meal with so-and-so, went out in the evening. Uh, Sunday um, afternoon, we went for a walk and... Uh, And you're just a little bit embarrassed and you hold back. But Joseph is a man who's not just trusting God in private. He is acknowledging God in public. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not on your own understanding, when things are against you, when it feels painful, and acknowledge him in all your ways. Joseph is a man who is acknowledging God in public. He brought the presence of God where he went. When Pharaoh and the people encounter Joseph, they don't just encounter Joseph. That's how it's supposed to be for the people of God. When people encounter us, they're not supposed to just encounter us. They're supposed to encounter God. And we need to be the people who bring the presence of God where we go. That people will encounter the living God. And that certainly happened with Joseph. Where he went, people encountered this power of God, this wisdom of God, this insight of God, this integrity and trustworthiness. A man of God comes along. I mean, look at some of the things that happened when the cupbearer and the chief baker have their dreams, what does Joseph do? I mean, how easy it would have been for him to say, don't talk to me about dreams. I used to have dreams. I don't even want to think about it. How easy it could have been. And maybe you've had promises in your life that you feel, God told me this would happen. God spoke to me. God, you know, you promised these things in your word. I, I, I'm done with that now. Look at what's happened to me. Joseph could have easily said, don't even start with me about dreams. God spoke to me about dreams once or through dreams. Then I got thrown in here. He doesn't. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. He's saying, look, look, this is God's domain. God reigns over all and I am a man of God. I bring the presence of God. It's my God that you need. Tell them to me. He's a man acknowledging God in public, trusting God in private, acknowledging him in public. Chapter 41, Joseph answers Pharaoh when Pharaoh has his dream and says, you can interpret. He says, not me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Later on, he says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. My God reigns over all. My God is in charge. Verse 32, it's fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. And then later on, Pharaoh says, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Even Pharaoh sees this is a man who brings the presence of God. How can we bring contrast to the darkness that we find ourselves in if we do not shine the light of God? You look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now listen to this. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now what does that mean? Let your light shine before men, because it's quite easy for us to cop out on this one. Let your light shine before men, that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Is your light your good deeds? No. The presence of God is your light, not your good deeds. You bring the presence of God where you go. People see your good deeds and they know who to glorify. Anyone can do good deeds. We're not traditionalists. We don't just have traditions and we try to do good and we we do good. Yeah, we want to do that. But we do that because we're bringing the presence of God to a situation so that when people see us do that, they say, wow, their God's amazing. That's what it's about to bring the presence of God. That's what it is to let our light shine. We need to be people who let our light shine by bringing God's presence, acknowledging God. And thirdly, God vindicates his people. He vindicates his people. After all of 
Joseph's integrity, his blameless behavior. He's trusted. He's honored. He's lifted to a place of influence, of dignity, and of authority. Joseph has done so well. He's honored God so well. He's been a man of integrity. He's been a righteous man. And we look in, as we saw in chapter 41, Pharaoh says to Joseph, See, I've set you above all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Incredible. Joseph is vindicated for all this pain he's been through, but he's maintained his faith in God, his trust in God, his um, integrity. He's been honest. He's been righteous. And here comes his vindication. Because in the word of God, there is a sowing and reaping principle. Throughout the word of God, we trust God in private. We acknowledge God in public, acknowledging his ways, not just sort of ethereally out there kind of theoretically and kind of abstract. No, how do I trust God's ways? Well, I acknowledge his ways in how I parent my children. I want to acknowledge his ways in how I love my wife. I acknowledge his ways in my workplace. And as I do those, I trust that God, the wisdom of God, look in books like like, uh, Proverbs and uh, books of the Bible that are on the wisdom books, and you just, well, all of it's wisdom, but you know what I mean. And you look through and you see, this is how God has designed things to work. If I honor his design, there is a payoff. He's called me to live a certain way and to find that, yeah, this works for me. God knows what he's doing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and he will direct your paths. There's a consequence. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him. What happens? And he will straighten your paths. There's a sowing and reaping principle throughout the Bible. We need to honor God and trust his ways in specific ways. We're not just a spiritual people who just come and say, God, could you just make me happy? No, where people say, this comes into play in, in my actions, in my choices, what I do. And as I trust God, yeah, it's difficult sometimes, but I trust him for a payoff. I trust him that it will go well with me. You know, one of the Ten Commandments even says, children, honor your father and mother that it might go well with you. God wants us to do certain things, to live a certain way that, that he could bless us. And Joseph trusted God with all his heart and acknowledged him in all his ways And he finds himself vindicated for his righteous behavior. And we need to do the same. Amen. And if I left you with that, you would want to go and kill yourself. If I left you with that, it would be like putting a massive burden on you or a noose around your neck and saying, great, have a good week. We'll see you next week. Justify yourself. Vindicate yourself. That is the message of other religions. It's not the message of Christianity. Joseph is a wonderful role model for us. He is. But what we see in Joseph is not simply a call to be like Joseph. It's a call to see who Joseph be like. Joseph points us to another one who was sold for pieces of silver. Having done nothing wrong, he was also lied about and placed under arrest. People plotted to kill him too, but they saw it through. Joseph points us to Jesus Christ, because if we see in Jesus only a good role model who calls us to be like him, we're destined for misery. We're destined for failure. Joseph isn't just a good person. He's also a picture of a savior 
who trusted God the Father with all his heart, acknowledged him in all his ways, and in so doing, saved many lives. Joseph was a saviour. Jesus is a saviour. If we fall into the problem of seeing Joseph and Jesus as role models, primarily, it gives us a huge burden and it puts us on a course for utter despondency. I cannot live up to that. I cannot live up to that. I can't vindicate myself. I can't justify myself. That's why I need a saviour. That's what a saviour is for. I'm in the pit. I can't get myself out. I can't justify myself. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah, I could do that for about three minutes. Do not rely on your own understanding. Sorry. Do it all the time. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Sometimes. I can't do it consistently. I need a saviour. Jesus said in, in Luke 5, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've come to call sinners to turn away from self-reliance, turn to me and find salvation. See, Jesus told this story in Luke 15, which is probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And someone else in this story gets the same honor as Joseph. The story of the two sons. And one of the sons takes his father's inheritance, goes and squanders it on women and on partying. And he finds, he says this, the son said to him, to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The difference with these two men. Joseph was deserving of his vindication. He'd gone through years of brutal treatment and horror and shown himself faithful and righteous time and time again to the point where he was vindicated, lifted up, a ring put on his finger, a robe on his back. But the man in Jesus' story had been a wretch. He had no righteousness of his own. He'd made terrible choice after terrible choice. But he turned back and found that he was treated the same way as Joseph was. How scandalous is that? How fair is that? That's not fair. Joseph had to go through hell to get this vindication, to get this justification. He had to go through so much and be faithful to find, oh good, I, I found myself to be justified. This man that Jesus tells the story of has been horrible. And he's turned to the father and the father's given him the same treatment. What's going on here? Brothers and sisters, this is our story. This is the same treatment that we receive. In the first uh, meeting, Ian felt he had a picture afterwards. And he said, it feels like there's a picture of people with a robe on and it just keeps slipping off. And the father comes and keeps putting it back on. Do you know that the father's robed you with righteousness, vindication that you cannot do on your own. You cannot vindicate yourself. You cannot, you cannot get the record that only Jesus can get. You fall way short. And what God wants you to know is, you are righteous. You're not to live in guilt and shame. I've clothed you in my son in righteousness. If you come to him, if you repent and turn to him, you are clothed in righteousness. Don't shrug it off. Don't shrug it off and think, no, not me. I'm terrible. 
Look at my week. Look what I looked at online. Look what I've done. Look how I spoke to my mum. I shrug this thing off. It doesn't fit me. No, the Father comes and puts it back on. This is what is yours in my son. This is who I've made you to be. You are righteous in my son. We get the same treatment as Jesus, who was the one who was the greater Joseph, who went through hell for us so that we could hold on to this righteousness and wear it and hold our heads high. Jesus is not a savior who comes and says, do this, do this, do this. Jesus is a savior who comes and says, done, it's done, and it's finished, and you are free. This is our savior. If you're here today and you're thinking, what? I thought Christianity was, I have to do this, do this, do this. No, that's not the message. That's a lie. Christianity is, I can't do this. There's a savior that's come and said, I've done it for you. Be free. Run free. So what? So I don't have to worry about all the stuff you said before about trusting God and acknowledging him. Yeah, you can still do that. But we don't do it out of, if I do that, then he'll be pleased with me. We do that because I've been free to do that. And because I've been lifted up like Joseph and seated with Christ in heavenly places to honor him, to acknowledge him, to trust him. That's what I've been won for. That's what I've been liberated to do. We want to be Proverbs 3 people, but not because in doing so we justify ourselves. We trust and acknowledge the God who justifies us. We trust and acknowledge he's done the finished work. I'm free. So as we're going to sing in a moment, in Christ alone, this is the song that we sing in our heart. My hope is not in myself. It's not in my behavior. My hope is in Christ alone. My hope is that he has done what I could never do. Where I have failed to trust the Lord with all my heart, and where I have leaned on my own understanding, Jesus never leaned on his own understanding, and Jesus trusted the Lord with all his heart for me. It has been done for me. I'm not waiting to think, oh, is, it, is it not? It's done for me. Jesus did it. So I'm not standing guilty. Oh, I should trust God better. I don't always do it. I acknowledge my own wisdom. No, I don't have to stand in guilt. He's done it for me. I've been redeemed. I've been freed. Where I failed to acknowledge God and I've hidden before people and I haven't proclaimed, my God reigns. Jesus acknowledged it for me. Jesus proclaimed the Father reigns for me. So we're free to trust and acknowledge God. Not for his approval, not because we have to, but because he is trustworthy and he reigns. We see in Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he's raised us up like Joseph, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's put a ring on your finger. He's called you sons, called you daughters, put a robe on your back. He's called you righteous, called you royalty. But I don't deserve it. Yes, that's right. But it's yours in Christ Jesus. Don't shrug it off. Don't forget it and let it fall off. Hold on to it tightly. We hold on to the promises of God, the grace of God with all our might. It's in Christ alone that our hope is found. We're going to sing that now. Shall we stand to our feet and let's proclaim it to ourselves to our hearts, to each other. In Christ alone, my hope's found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my cornerstone, my solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought. 
firm through the fiercest storm. This is where we stand. Amen? Amen? Let's enjoy the grace of God. No guilt, no shame. He's done it for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.